That song, The Greatest Commands, is in my opinion, one of the most beautiful songs that we sing to one another in the Lord's Church. That we sing together to one another in the Lord's Church as we are commanded to sing to one another in places like Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19 and Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. The beauty of that song is evident no matter where we gather together to sing it to one another. Whether it's here as we just sung it to each other as a congregation this morning, whether it's at youth events like Green Valley Bible Camp or Tri-State Youth Series where we sang that song last Sunday night, or in much larger gatherings such as affirming the faith or polishing the pulpit or those places where hundreds and hundreds of saints are gathered. It does not matter where we sing that song. It is one of the most amazingly beautiful and uniquely beautiful songs that we sing. And it is uniquely beautiful for a number of different reasons. Have you ever considered the uniqueness of this song? For example, if you'd be opening with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, please. <clears throat> this song's title, The Greatest Commands, is taken from and meant to describe the account of the encounter in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 and following. You will recall that this was during that last Tuesday of Jesus' life on earth, pre-crucifixion. That Tuesday when the scribes and the Pharisees sent him people after people and more people to try to show that he was wrong on a number of events and occasions, doctrines. And this story, as we know, there was a, a lawyer, one who was of the Pharisees, who came to Jesus, and he asked Jesus, he said, which is the great commandment? in the law. Jesus gave him two. In Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus responds. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These are, according to Jesus, the greatest and second greatest commandment, if you will, or the two greatest commands. We understand this not only because we see them here, but in Mark chapter 12 and verse 31, which we'll cover later on, we see Mark recording it as well. So. That's one thing that makes this song unique is it comes straight out of scripture. Another aspect of this song that makes it so incredibly beautiful is that the lyrics for this song, all four parts also come straight out of scripture. It's not like some songs we sing, and, and we sing a lot of, of wonderful songs that encourage one another, but a lot of those songs 
don't come straight out of scripture, word for word, verse for verse, as it were. This one does pretty much. This is one of the most scriptural songs that we sing, literally, and it is the scriptures that also help make it uniquely beautiful. For example, the alto line, the lead, comes directly from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, where it says, Beloved, let us love one another. I, I want to sing that every time. Around. I'll try not to. I, I'll, I'll try not to, okay? I'm not up here to sing solo, but I want to sing it with us this morning. Um, comes out of 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You can't get much more scriptural for a song than that. Straight out of scripture. The baseline comes from that section of scripture wherein the Apostle Paul is explaining that biblically defined and exhibited love amongst brethren is the greatest gift of all. You will recall leading up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that the church there in Corinth, they're divided over everything. They're split over everything. They can't even get communion right. They, they're, they're fighting over all these different things, of, including which teacher was the greatest and which one of them was following which, and they couldn't get communion right, and, and I appreciated that our communion reading this morning came from there. Paul's trying to straighten them out on that. And in chapter 12, they're fighting over who's got the greatest spiritual gift. They're at odds all over the place. And you'll recall that as Paul goes down through and, and he tries to convince them that, hey, miracles and whatever, those aren't the greatest gift. The greatest gift of all that surpasses all of those gifts is that you love one another. I think sometimes in the church we miss that as we talk about the first century church and all the miracles they could do and raising the dead. We think, man, wouldn't it be great to raise the dead and wouldn't it be great to do all these things? Paul said it's an even greater gift that you just love one another. He said, you really want to know? This is the greatest gift of all. And, and so, as he describes in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 6, what the traits of this type of biblical love are, he goes on to say that such love, the baseline, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Just as a side note, in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 13, he said, love never fails. And what that means is, love never fails to be these things. It doesn't mean that, that love never fails. If you love somebody, everything's just going to automatically be all right, because everybody's got a choice whether to love you back or not. When it says love never fails, the sentence structure of the Greek there means that love never fails to be these things. All of these things from verses 4 through 7. But that is what the baseline, it comes in second has to say, that's straight out of the book. The third or tenor line is taken straight out of 1 John 4 in verse 16, just a little segment of it, but it says, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. And of course we know the tenor line is, is God is love, and obviously I've underlined the, the actual words that are used as the lyrics. Fourthly and finally, we get to the Sopranos, where they chime in with Jesus' message to that lawyer from whence the song gets its title, as we talked about. This is where we will get to what Mark wrote of that same encounter in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31, where he said, 
And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then I've got it underlined, there is no commandment greater than these. The reason I underlined that and, and all of the other things that are underlined are the actual lyrics to this song. But the reason I underlined that, there is no commandment greater than these. These are definitely the greatest commands, which is the title of the song. And so the, the first and uniquely beautiful thing that we see in this song, the thing that, that should make it the most uniquely beautiful, is that its lyrics are pretty much word for word straight scripture. But that's not the only uniquely beautiful thing about this song and what sets it apart. Most of the songs that we sing to one another out of our songbooks, think about this, they have us singing mostly the same words at the same time, harmonizing with each other on relatively the same notes, at least in the verses. When we sing verses of a lot of these other songs, they're pretty much, we sing together the same words. We have harmonizing notes that, that form for a chord, but we're pretty much singing the same words. There, there are some exceptions, and, and the bass line may be a little different, but pretty much the parts are singing the same words. Not this song. Not this one. One of the unique things about this song is that it has no common verses sung by all four parts. Think about it. There's no common verses that are sung by all four parts, even in four-part harmony, together. There's also no common chorus or refrain which all four parts sing together. How many hymns do you know of in our songbooks that have no chorus? or common refrain that we sing together. There may be a few, but they're certainly very few. The song's very unique, very uniquely beautiful. Another unique thing about this song, as Brother Austin Drake has written, is this, quote, every part sings a different verse to a different melody in rounds until all four parts are singing together at the end. I want you to think about that. If somebody said to you, I want you to write a scriptural song to sing in worship. Here's, here's the requirements. Every verse has to be a scripture. Every verse has to be different. There's going to be no chorus to the song. And there's got to be different notes in each of the four verses. They're going to be sung in rounds, and it's all got to fit together. What would you say? I got two words for you, pal. Not me. And I like music. What I want for us to understand, and, and what I'm using this song to illustrate, we'll get to in a moment. The sermon isn't just about the song, although it's a lot about the song. The potential for disaster is everywhere evident in this approach to a song. No chorus, no singing together, all four verses are, are different, uh, it's sung in rounds, the notes are different, we're singing different, the, the potential for disaster here is, is all over the place. As, as Brother Drake said again, 
While the idea is neat to do an entire song where each part is completely different, this song easily could have been a mess. And he's right. One of the illustrations that I've used over the years, and I've, I've come to like it too, and I've used it here once before, but just to remind you of how quickly things can deteriorate into a mess when you've got all kinds of people singing different parts and, and different words and different verses and, and all of that. The illustration I've used before to, to say that we need to be unified is simply this. I want everybody, you don't have to do this, I just uh, real quickly. I want everybody to take out a songbook, turn to your favorite song, don't look at the person beside of you, and everybody get ready on the count of three. We're all going to belt out our favorite song. There's only one requirement, and that is you all have to sing louder than the person next to you. That would be utter chaos, would it not? Uh-huh. And this song, designed the way it is, could have been maybe not that big of a mess, but it could have been a big mess. This song could have gotten ugly in a big hurry. But it didn't. And I don't mean just when we're singing it. I mean the song itself, wherever it's sung. But it didn't. And it doesn't. Instead, it is a thing of unique peace and incredible beauty as all four very different parts come and work together in perfect harmony to produce one of the single most beautiful songs in our entire songbooks. And as I consider that, and as you consider it this morning, consider this. As I considered it, I thought about how absolutely perfectly and accurately it illustrates and reflects the original design and purpose of the Lord's church. How everything I've just said so beautifully illustrates the original design and purpose of the Lord's one New Testament church itself. Consider with me, just like the song, the Lord's church is built upon the black and white book, chapter, and verse of God's word. Amen? Just like this song. It is, it is built on a word-for-word, -word, black and white, this is what scripture says, foundation. John 17, 17 through 23, 1 Timothy 3, 15, and others. That's number one. Number two how this song so beautifully illustrates the Lord's church. In the Lord's church's unique beauty, just like the song's individually unique verses, all of us in the Lord's church are completely and totally different and unique from one another as well, are we not? Scripture bears that out in places like Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 27, and Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11, 16 in particular. All of those verses which tell us that we all have different gifts and that we all can do different things and how we're all to work together. And so just like the verses of that song are all, all different, we as the Lord's church are all different as well. 
But the same thing is true of the Lord's church as of a song like that, and that is this, just like I said with the song, because we're all different, like those verses, the potential exists within the Lord's church as well for things to get ugly in a hurry. Just like it does with the singing of and interacting with the verses of that song. Or a song that is so different, part to part to part to part to part. Yes, I realize that was five parts and not four. So how do we prevent things from going south and getting ugly in the church? With all the different parts, how do we prevent things from going south and getting ugly? How do we, how do we get to the point where the church is so uniquely beautiful as, as God designed it to be? How do we keep the Lord's church, this, this blood-bought institution of our Lord Jesus Christ, and, and this institution that is so uniquely beautiful, how do we keep it in harmony in what it was originally built and intended to be? with each and every part that is so different, somehow coming together and working together? Well, the answer to that question is very simple. The answer to that question is very simple because the answer to that question is in the song. The reason the answer to that question is in the song is because that song is pretty much the scriptures set to music and the answer is in the scriptures. The answer, in fact, of, of how keep the Lord's church from deteriorating into a mess of discordant parts that are all different, how their differences can work together, and, and how we keep it that thing of unique beauty, the answer is in the very first phrase of the very first line of the very first part that you will always first hear every time we sing that song, The Greatest Commands. Love one another. That's the answer. And I hope whenever you hear this song, no matter where you hear it from now on, if there's three of you singing in a car, or if there's 2,000 people singing in a big group somewhere, and everything in between, or all the, all the folks at Green Valley Bible Camp, I hope every time you hear this song for the rest of your life, you will think about the fact that, that all of these unique verses fit together so beautifully and in harmony, and the answer to the church doing that is in the very first line of this song, love one another. Love one another. And we're going to spend the rest of this morning, as well as tonight, looking at what it truly means from the Bible to love one another. And we're going to do so by looking at a lot of one another verses. And we're going to begin this morning with the phrase, love one another. The phrase, love one another. It's found 13 times in 12 verses in the New Testament, and we're going to look at every one of those 13 or at least mention them. And incidentally, before I go any further, you know that phrase never once occurs in the Old Testament? Think about that. In the New Testament, love one another occurs 13 times in 12 verses. In the Old Testament, you don't see that phrase love one another at all anywhere. And you know what that should do to us? That should help us to realize just how much and how strongly that phrase, this trait, love one another, summarizes and encapsulates 
the entirety of the New Testament law of Christ, Galatians 6 and verse 2. It is the crux, it is the greatest, one of the two greatest commands. And it encapsulates the very essence of what the new covenant is all about because it is only seen in the New Testament. We should therefore come to realize as New Testament Christians not only how important this is, how vital it is, what a big deal it is to love one another as the Bible defines it, but to also understand that it is essential to our eternal life because, as we're going to see from the scriptures a little bit later here, I'm going to make a statement, and we'll prove it out later. Did you know this? Biblically loving one another is as essential to our eternal life as believing in Jesus is. Say that again. Loving one another is as eternal, is as vital to our eternal life, as essential to our eternal life as believing in Jesus. You say, Doug, I don't even think that's possible. I'm going to show you a scripture verse that says that's exactly true eventually. God said it, not Doug. But we'll get there, as I said. Love one another. Critical element to a to eternal life, critical element to the New Testament, critical element. And there was no greater way to illustrate it, no greater way to, to bring it to light, to, to show what he meant than the very first time that we see that phrase in Scripture, which is in John chapter 13. Please turn there. What a beautiful way for God in the flesh, what a perfect way to introduce love one another. Very first time we see that phrase used in the Bible. Word for word and verbatim. Wow. You know, when God does something, he don't do it halfway, okay? I'm <laughs> just saying. And, and if you're going to show how important this phrase is, you couldn't do it any more powerfully than he did that night in John 13. In verses 2 through 17, we know the story. Jesus and the disciples are in the upper room. And Jesus, at some point, because nobody's washed the filth and the muck and the feces off their feet that they surely got walking through the, the streets of Jerusalem where the animals were often herded and cisterns were dumped out and their, their dirty, smelly feet, and nobody had done that. So, so Jesus takes a towel and takes off his outer garment and he starts washing the feet of the disciples and gets down on, on maybe one knee or two and is there leaned back and he, and he picks their feet up and he, and he washes their feet. And boy, you want to talk about a way to introduce love one another? Let's see, you're not going to get any more powerful than that. But before we get to where he said it, there's something I want to make clear because Jesus is setting the stage to, to tell them about loving one another and it's going to look back to their foot washing. And so... In their foot washing experience here, I want us to notice something. I want us to notice first, in verses 2 through 17, what Jesus did not do. Notice what Jesus did not do. Jesus did not first hold up each one's dirty feet in front of all of the rest of them so that they could all see each other's dirt. Jesus didn't do that. 
He didn't get down in front of one of them and pick up the foot and say, I want you to see how dirty this guy's feet are. That's not the love that we're to have for one another. I, I want you to understand that Jesus did not walk up or, or Jesus did not go to each new disciple he came to telling them about the previous one's dirty feet. I'm going to wash your feet. Boy, his are really dirty. That's, that's not what Jesus did. Those are things that Jesus did not do. Because Christ-like love does not focus upon or advertise another disciple's dirt. It helps them to cleanse and get rid of the other disciple's dirt. That's what Christ-like love did. And it is after he did that that we see in John 13, 34, and 5, the first occurrence of our phrase, love one another. Jesus said in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one, love one, that, yeah, that phrase, another. As I have loved you that you also love one another. Boy, twice in one verse. He doesn't just start off with this illustration, but he lays it in there twice and then not word for word exactly, but the same idea, verse 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Boom, boom, boom. Verse 34, the first part of that verse, I want us to understand, John was there. The other disciples, the other apostles were as well, but, but John was there. And this was a night and an illustration that John would never forget. This, this night was indelibly engraved on John's hard drive. No matter what John went through for the rest of his life, John remembered this night. And he remembered the power of that night, and he remembered, remembered the intensity of Jesus telling them to love one another as he had loved them, as he had gotten down and washed their feet. How do I know that? Not making it up. I know that because probably a little over a half a century later, around another 50 years or so plus, that old apostle John would write in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another from the very beginning from from that night from even before jesus was crucified that lesson from that night john remembered it remember that's the first time that love one another is seen in the scriptures is in john 13 34 and 5. it, it was that night and john says later on not only in first john 3 and verse 11 what i just read but also in second john 1 5 he wrote and now i plead with you lady not as though i wrote a new commandment to you but that which we have had from the beginning that we love one another twice john is an old man writes from the very beginning Love one another. Love one another. As we're still here in John chapter 13 and verse 34, we would notice from the second half, or the second part of verse 34, that this love with which we must love one another is not left up to our own interpretation, our own definition, our own intuition or our own imagination. It's not left up to us to define it. 
you know, I love my car, I love chocolate, I love my wife. Okay, so I get to define love however I want. If, if Jesus just said love one another, I get to define love any way I want. Do I love like I love chocolate? Well, let's see. Where I know that it's not real good for me and don't eat as much as I used to, I can get by with eating chocolate once every four weeks or so. Does that mean that, that I only love you once every four weeks? See, if I get to define it, I can define it any way I want because I have these different measuring sticks for love. So I can do it. Jesus made sure he didn't leave it up to our imagination or our definition. He said, love one another even as I have loved you. There is no room. There is no wiggle room. He said, as I have loved you. That's how we're to love. You know what that is? That's a love that will get its hands dirty. That's a love that will get down and wash mud and fecal matter from somebody's feet who is going to betray you, abandon you, and desert you. Did Peter and Judas do that that night? Did all the disciples flee? Did Jesus know they were going to? Yes. Did he still wash their feet? Absolutely. Love one another like that, he said. It is that kind of love, as he has loved us, that kind of beautiful and Christ-like loving one another alone, which Jesus then went on to say in verse 35, would ultimately prove to the world that we're his. You have all kinds of organizations in this world. You have organizations for everything. You have organizations which sometimes when you run across them, you go, I didn't even know such a thing existed. <laughs> and in those organizations, you have people. And in those people, you often have all kinds of dissension and abuse and climbing the ladder and knifing one another in the back and all of those sorts of things. And by the way, we know in Matthew 20 that James and John tried that. The kind of love that Jesus had, the kind that will wash a betrayer's feet, one who will wash the feet of those who wouldn't even stay loyal to him over the next 12 hours but would run. He said, if you know that kind of love, the world's going to know you belong to me then because you look like me. Paul's going to tell us later on, and we'll cover this tonight in Galatians chapter 5, but if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you are devoured by one another. As we look at phrases tonight that have just one another as opposed to love one another, we, we will see that. I don't know about you, and I am ashamed to say, I got some learning to do when it comes to loving like that. But boy, I want it. And the fact that Jesus said in, in verse 35 that if we loved like that, all men would know that we are his disciples, that's why he commanded that type of love. And, and, and he commanded us, that's why he commanded us to have and to show that kind of love to one another constantly. Listen, somebody said a couple of weeks ago going out of here that a 
commandments, not a suggestion, and that's true. The Ten Commandments were not the Ten Suggestions. They were not optional. We have to understand this is not a suggestion. Jesus is saying, I really wish you'd learn to love like me. Jesus did not say, you better, you may. What did he say? Did he say it was a commandment? Look at me in John chapter 15, verse 12 and verse 17. He, he makes it very clear that we are commanded to do this. This is not an option. John 15, verses 12 and 17. And I'll tell you again, the one standing up here before you is not telling you this because he's an expert on it. I'm just telling you what the scriptures say. And, and, and that's all. John chapter 15, verse 12. Look what he says. This is my commandment. If you don't have that, I have that highlighted in my Bible. If you don't have it highlighted or underlined, if you write in your Bible, make, make a This is my commandment that you love one another. That's one of the 13 times we see it in the scriptures. As I have loved you. Again, he doesn't leave it up to interpretation. If we notice just five verses later in verse 17, what he says, he said, these things I command you, that you love one another. Remember a few minutes ago I told you that loving one another that way is as essential to our getting to heaven and living eternally as believing in Jesus. Remember when I said that and told you I'd take you to a verse? I'm going to take you to that verse right now. Years later, the same Apostle John who wrote John chapter 14 and 15 and all of this, 13, 14, and 15. Half a century later, he echoed that this is still God's commandment. In 1 John 3 and verse 23, Please turn there. First John, I've got it typed up, but I'd rather have you see it in your own Bibles. I'll even turn there myself, despite the fact that I have it typed up. Watch this real close. Writing a half a century or so later on from the events that were recorded in John 15, verses 12 and 17, where he said, this is my commandment. 50 or so years later, it's still God's commandment. 1 John 3 and verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. 50 years had not changed the commandment. 500 years would not change the commandment. 2,000 years haven't changed the commandment. And if this earth spins another 8,000, it won't change the commandment then. This commandment is still a commandment. And the commandment is that we love one another even as he loved us. But the thing I want us to notice most from this verse is what I brought up earlier, the dual essentials included in it. We, we all go a little bit crazy when somebody says, I don't have to be baptized to be saved. We know what Mark says, right? He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Both sides of the word and are both crucial. Is that right? This side of it and this element is crucial, but they've got to do that and this, right? They're both crucial. Brethren, that same thing goes here. Again, it is his commandment that we believe in Jesus and love one another as he gave us commandment. The sentence begins with commandment, ends with commandment. 
There's two elements sandwiched in between and an and that links them together, and they're both important. They're both commandments. They always will be. Wow. By believing in Jesus, I can't get to heaven without it. It's a commandment. If I don't have faith in Christ, I ain't going. If I don't love one another, if we don't love one another, if I don't love, if he loved us, I ain't going either. It's a commandment. It's on both sides of the word and. Brings us to 1 John chapter 4 and, and the rest of John's usage of the term. John used the, the term 10 times, love one another, out of the 13 in the New Testament. We'd see the last few of them right here in 1 John 4, very familiar passage, beginning in verse 7. Beloved, I still want to sing that phrase. <laughs> Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Can you hear him singing in the background? He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested or made known toward us. And this is how we know what love is. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. That's the last of the 10 times that we see John use that specific phrase. There are a couple of other New Testament writers that use that same phrase as well. Both Paul and Peter did. If you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 13, please. In Romans chapter 13, Paul is discussing with the Roman Christians, in verses 1 through 7, he says, we are to keep the laws of the land. Then, in verses 8 through 10, he says, we're to keep the law of God as well. You cannot be guilty of keeping just the physical laws or requirements while disregarding the spiritual laws and requirements of God. That's what the Pharisees were guilty of. He said, you tithe, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, love, justice, and mercy. They were keeping the checklist and the, the written requirements, but there was no love in their keeping it. And, and so here in, in Romans 13, we see that same contrast again. So how do we keep both the law of the land and the law of God? How do we do that? Well, we do it with justice and mercy and faith, just as the Pharisees weren't. We, we do it by loving and doing good to one another. Romans 13, 8 through 10 says this. Oh, no one anything except to, here's Paul's usage of the phrase, love one another. That's it. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. 
It's amazing how closely Paul echoes Jesus. Jesus said, this is the greatest command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul's repeating it. He said, hey, this sums up the whole old law right here. Love, because love will do no harm to a neighbor. It won't covet his wife. It won't covet his goods. It won't do any of those things. If you love one another, it takes care of the commandments. It's the fulfillment of the law. Apparently, that's what our first century brethren were doing in Thessalonia, Thessalonian churches. Look with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I know it's in here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. These brethren were loving one another when it came to all their brethren throughout Macedonia. Verses 9 in the first part of 10 of 1 Thessalonians 4 says this, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all those brethren who are in all Macedonia. Okay? But how do you do that? How were they doing it? How do we, how do we love like they did? How do we love one another like they were doing the way Jesus had said? Well, the answer is pretty simple. Scripture's going to tell us the next verse and a half. Scripture says we do that by always seeking to grow. Don't miss that. Seeking to grow in showing and sharing that love more and more. That, that's, that's a big part of this love. It's... it's their loving one another was something that they were doing already, but he said, you keep growing in that. You keep, you keep showing more love. You keep moving on and up. And, and, and one of the ways that he's going to say that they need to do that in Thessalonica was by leading a quiet life, minding their own business, working to provide for their families so that they wouldn't be a burden to others. Look at this here in, in chapter 4, beginning with the second part of verse 10 and running down through into 12. He said, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that is, in their loving one another, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. That is how they had been taught to love one another and how they needed to grow in it. The 13th and final occurrence, the phrase love one another in the scriptures, was used by the Apostle Peter. It's in 1 Peter 1, verses, verse 22. If you turn there with me, 1 Peter chapter 1. A little bit of background before we get there to set this up. Peter is writing this to Christians, to those who've already been baptized, they've repented, they've been baptized, they've obeyed the gospel. That's who he's writing to. And we see in, in verses 1 through 21 that they're going through some trials and, and that he's encouraging them to just keep on living for the Lord, just keep on living right. Don't go back to the way you were living, live right for God. And then he goes on here to remind them why there to do that, starting in verse 17. He says, And if you call on the Father, 
who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was made known or manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. He tells us there what it takes to be a Christian. We have got to be washed in the precious blood of Christ, which they already were. He tells us that there in verses 19 and following, this Jesus, this plan of salvation, this gospel, we, we've got to be in Christ. And, and he said to them, they already were, but we've got to be washed in the blood, number one. We've got to have that faith that is so critical to our being saved. And then he goes on to tell those who have been washed in that precious blood, what they need to continue to do if they still plan to go to heaven. He tells us what, once they've been washed in the blood as New Testament children of the living God, what they must do. Since they had already, verse 22, purified their souls, what they needed to do was in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Okay. 13 occasions of the phrase, love one another, all 13 in the Bible, all 13 in the New Testament. 10 by John, two by Paul, one by Peter. How do we do it? We've seen how essential it is. How do we do it? How do we, where's the, what's the nuts and bolts? How do we really make this happen? I hope you'll be back tonight. Because we're going to take a look at the one another verses that explain how to love one another in the second half of this little two-part sermon mini-series. But for right now, this morning, I'd like to close with these words right here in Peter. First Peter chapter 1, as we've talked about, Peter explained that You've got to be purchased by that perfect blood. He was given for us, known before the foundation of the world, but made known in these last times for us who believe in God through him. Do you believe in God? Do you believe that Jesus was the Son of God, as God says in his word? And if you do, do you believe he died for your sins? And if so, why haven't you been baptized? He says you've got to do that, too. He said you must be born again of the water and the spirit. I preached not too long ago on John 3.16, and all of John chapter 3 is about baptism. You, re you recall that. He told, Peter that on the day of Pentecost, he told Peter that Peter would open up the church of the kingdom. And on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, he did. And the requirement was that they be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. They, they had to be washed in that blood. And so this morning, if you haven't done that, we'd love to see a new baby in Christ. Isn't that right, church? Amen. But just as important as that, because faith is critical to our essential life, but so is loving one another, 1 John 3 and verse 23, as we said. Maybe you've done the first, but you're struggling to love your brethren as you'd ought. Maybe you need the prayers of the church to 
fervently in sincere love with a pure heart, love more deeply. Because it ain't easy loving those who hurt you. But it's commanded. And we can only do it when we see how when we were enemies at just the right time, Christ died for us, Romans chapter 5. This morning, if you've been washed in the blood but you need the prayers of the church, we'll pray for you. If there's anything troubling you, it's causing you maybe something that's causing you not to be able to love like you should. Maybe you need to get rid of pride. Whatever, whatever, whatever. We're not here to judge. Amen, church? We're here to pray that people may be healed. Is that right? We'll pray for you. Need to be washed in the blood? Need to be prayed for that you'd be stronger. Come right now and let us know because we truly love one another as we stand and sing. <laughs>